Good morning, church family. Grab a Bible. <clears throat> We're going to be in Romans 9, 1 through 5. That's page 945 in the Bibles around the room. When I am done, I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord because at this church, we believe this is the inspired only word of the Lord. And you're going to say, thanks be to God because you believe it too. All right, Romans 9, 1 through 5. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belongs the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belongs the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, give us a compassion for the lost, those who don't know your son as their savior. Give us a fire to share your goodness with them. Open our hearts and our minds to hear your servant Kyle preach your message to us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, Melanie. Good morning, church. How are we doing today? It's going to be a good day. We are going through Romans 9, so if you didn't have a Bible for that, open up one of the ones we put around the room, and that'll be on page 945. And by the way, if you're a guest here and you would like a Bible, but you don't own one, you are free to take one of those Bibles home with you. We want to give you a Bible as a gift. And um, so we're going to be in Romans, Romans 9. So uh, we are here today. If you're a guest, you're wondering, what, what is all this about? We are here for God. That's why we're here. Um, we're not here to be entertained. We're not here to, uh, you know, just listen to a new band play so that it can warm our hearts and we can feel good about ourselves. We are here for God. That's why we're here. And God has spoken to us in the Bible. And so if you're a, somebody who you might not classify yourself as a Christian or you might say you're a seeker or or, or maybe even just got dragged here because somebody was going to buy you lunch. You, you are welcome here with all of your questions. And our hope is that as we investigate God in the Bible, some of those questions will be answered. And um, so we're just going to let the Bible speak for itself. And so we're going through the book of Romans and we're marching through verse by verse. So in your Bibles, the chapters are the big numbers and the verses are the little numbers. And we're going verse by verse through the whole book of Romans and we've broken it up into different sections. And we're entering into a new section today, chapters 9 through 11, and we're calling this Pure Grace. That's what we're calling this section, pure grace. Now, grace is one of those words that often gets misunderstood, right? Um, it's one of those words that we use a lot in language without thinking about the depth of its meaning. Um, and sometimes we, we don't even know what it means. Like, for example, uh, I was watching figure skating last night, you know, in the Olympics, which, by the way, it's a little weird. They were going from figure skating to snowboarding. And that was just like quite the different extremes. Like the snowboarding's like, dude, that's epic. Look at this, like gnarly 1440 or whatever. And, and then you go to the figure skaters and it's like, such elegant grace on the, <laughs> on the ice. And um, as they were talking, it's like we could use that word grace to describe what they're doing out there. It's this beautiful action. 
um, you know, with eloquence and you're out there and it looks peaceful and wonderful. And that's one way that we use the word grace, but that's not how the Bible uses the word grace. And that's important to know. The way that the Bible uses the word grace is different. The Bible uses the word grace as this. It is a wonderful gift when you deserve something terrible. And specifically, it's God's wonderful gift towards us when we deserve something terrible. It's good news, but it's preceded by bad news. The bad news is you're worse than you think. We're all messed up. And we're way more messed up than we even like to acknowledge. But the good news is, is that God has loved us in Jesus Christ more than we can imagine. And he's given us Jesus who was damned on our behalf so we could be accepted into heaven. He was damned when we deserve to be damned. He is the gift of forgiveness when we deserved condemnation. And so that is God's wonderful gift. And grace is a gift. It's not something you earn. You earn a wage. You don't earn a gift. And since it's a gift, it's, it's nothing about us. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with the benevolence of God. And that's what chapters 9 through 11 are about. It's about God's good gift to us. That salvation is something that he gives us freely and we just accept it. We don't earn it. We just accept it. Now, here's the thing about grace. Christians can testify. If you have been uh, impacted by grace, if you get it deep in your soul, you will cherish it and you'll want other people to know it too. Like when you realize how good and beautiful Jesus is, you're going to want to share Jesus with other people. Which some of you are, are guests here today and you're like, I'm coming here because I'm tired of my friend telling me about Jesus and I just want to shut him up. Well, the reason they're telling you is because they've seen something so good and it's changed them that they want you to know it too. It's an act of love. And that's really what this section we're going to be in today is about. If you love Jesus, you'll love those who don't. If you love Jesus, you'll love those who don't. So um, let's break it down. First, and it's going to mean four things for us. It's going to mean four things. The first thing it means is that this, you will literally hurt for those who don't know Jesus. Paul says this, he says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. He's talking about this fact that he's thinking about people who don't know Jesus and it hurts his heart. It's unceasing. That's a lot. (laughs) Like unceasing is a lot of anguish. He's staying up at night thinking about it. He, he, He looks at people and he sees them and he says, man, you don't have the best thing in the world, which is Jesus, and it kills me. He's consumed by the fact that there are people in this world who don't have his Lord and who don't know his love, who haven't tasted and seen that the Lord is good and it kills him. That's what he's saying. And he even has to, he he, he says in the beginning, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. Why does he say that? Well, he's never met the Roman church. And for eight chapters, he's been writing to this church and he's telling them this, this good news that salvation is not based on what you do for God. It's based on what God has done for us. 
You cannot earn righteousness with God by obedience to his law. You don't get good with God by being a good person. You don't earn it. It's simply given. The only thing you do is accept it. And, and Paul is a Jew, and he's writing to confront this, this lie that was happening in the Roman church where people are saying, no, you have to live according to the Jewish law. And Paul is saying, no, the law is there to show us how much we need Jesus. You don't live by the law uh, to earn salvation. You receive salvation from God, and then that changes you so that you can live according to the law. So the natural thing that the Roman church must have been asking is, well, Paul, do you hate the Jews? Are you hating them then? And how does Paul respond? No, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for them. I'm hurting for them. I love them. I, I, I just, I'm, I'm, in fact, it says in verse three, I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. I love them so much, I would rather go to hell than see them go to hell. Now that's intense. I read that and I'm like, I don't know if I'm there, Paul. <laughs> I could wish that I myself were a curse and cut off from Christ. That's, that's some deep, heartfelt, passionate love for people who don't know Jesus. How, how does anybody get there? Well, this is the heart of God, isn't it? I mean, isn't it, don't we see that in Christ? I mean, isn't that why he died? He was dying because he was saying, I would rather be accursed so that you don't have to be. I would rather be cut off so that you could be brought in. It's the heart of God. And when you love someone and they care about something deeply, eventually you'll start to care about what they care about the deeper you love them. And Paul is so much in love with Jesus that his heart starts to align with God. He's echoing a prayer that Moses had back in Exodus when the, the people started to worship a golden calf instead of God. And, and God said, fine, I'm going to kill him. And Moses went up on the mountain and pleaded and said, blot me out instead. Blot me out instead. You see, that's the heart of God. That's what Jesus has been doing for us. That's what he did for us on the cross. When you love somebody deeply, your heart will start to align with theirs. It's like, you'll start to care what they care about. Now, I'm not talking about like little silly things like if you married some lady who likes country music, eventually after 20 years of being married, you're gonna start liking country music too. Like I'm not saying like that. It's more on serious things like there's several guys in our church who have married uh, women who had uh, children from a previous relationship and when they married them, they said, I love these kids like they're my own because I love her so much my heart aligns, and I really do care and love these kids just like they're my own. And that's, that's what Paul is feeling here. He's, he's feeling the heart of Jesus. Jesus, when he came to us, he got off of his throne in heaven where he was being worshiped by angels, where there was no sin or brokenness, where all of the people who had believed in him were there, giving him praise. He had perfect relationship with God the Father and the, God the Spirit. And he, ta he becomes in the form of a child. He comes to us as a human. And then he lives in obscurity. Nobody really knew who he was. The creator of the universe just got ignored. And then he was mocked and killed and spit upon by his own creation on a cross that he spoke into existence. 
That's how much God loves people who don't know him. When Jesus was riding into town on the week before he died and he saw these people praising him, he knew that in the week they were going to shout, kill him, and he wept. He wept. This is the heart of God. So let me ask you, Christians in the room, does it drive you crazy that there's people you're in relationship with who don't know Jesus? Or has your heart grown calloused? Do you even care? When is the last time you weeped over somebody not knowing Jesus? When is the last time you drove up on the hill or you were in an airplane, you looked down at our city and you were wrecked by the fact that only 4% of our city knows Christ? When's the last time that you thought about that and were torn up about it? That's what it means to have the heart of Christ. And there's only two ways, I think, to get there. Number one is you have to see his glory first. Moses did not pray, blot me out, until he had experienced the glory of God. And Paul doesn't say this in chapter one of Romans. He says it in chapter nine, after he's already belabored in the glories of God's love. And when you experience the glory of his love, you will look at other people and you'll look them in the eye and you'll, you'll literally hurt for them because they don't know that great love. The second way that we get there is we have to think about the uncomfortable reality of hell. Jesus talks about hell a lot. The Bible does. Hell is the place where you have separation from God. If you choose to not want God in this life, he'll give you what you have chosen for eternity, which is life apart from him. And there is no blessing apart from him. In fact, there's only wrath apart from him. And it's an, un, it, it's an uncomfortable thing for us to think about. But you're never going to really start caring for those who don't know Jesus unless you, get, unless you go there and you think about it. You have to think about it. That's what Paul is doing. He's saying, I myself wish that I were accursed and cut off. He's thinking about hell and he's saying, man, I don't want them to face that. I would rather do that instead. You have to think about it. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're like, that just sounds a little crazy and intense. But you have to understand if we really believe this as Christians and we believe that Jesus is the solution, you should feel loved that we're wanting to tell you about Jesus. I love what the outspoken atheist uh, Penn from Penn and Teller says. He says, I have no respect for Christians who don't tell me about Christ. Because he says, if you believe in hell and you believe that Jesus is the savior, how much do you have to hate somebody to not tell them about Jesus? So we gotta go there. And it hurts. Like Paul is hurting here. This is, this is the, the language of a hurting heart. And that's what it's going to mean when you love those who don't know Jesus. The second thing it's going to mean is this, is that you'll pursue ongoing, genuine, and regular relationship with people who don't know God. Um, look at what he says. He says, I'm hurting for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, and the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. He's saying, I'm calling, he calls them his brothers. And what's going on is Paul was a Jew who became a Christian. And, there, and, and if you're new to the Bible, there's, there's really only one difference between Jews and Christians. We both believe that the Old Testament is the words of God. And we believe that they are telling the story that God is sending a savior of the world. As Christians, we believe that Jesus is that savior, that he fulfilled those promises of the Old Testament and that he's with us and he's our savior and our king. 
The Jews do not believe that Jesus is the Savior. That's actually why they had him killed. It was the Jews who had Jesus killed. Um, because they believed that Jesus, in claiming to be the Savior, was uh, doing blasphemy. And according to the law, anybody who blasphemed, they would kill. And so that's, what, that's why they killed him. But Paul was a guy who was a Jew, and he didn't believe in Jesus. He, in fact, hated the church, and he would persecute people in the church and drag them out and have them beaten and thrown in prison. But then one day Jesus showed up to Paul and said, well, you're mine now and you work for me now. And so that changed Paul and now he became a Christian. But here's what I want you to identify. He still calls the Jews his brothers. He didn't just give up on them. He didn't just abandon them. He didn't just cut them out of his life because they were a bad influence or because they hated him. He still identifies with them as brothers. He still has genuine relationship. In fact, when Paul would go to preach in different cities, guess who he went to first? To the Jews. Because that's who he, that, those were his people. Those were his people. And they had the scriptures, and, 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 and he identified with them. But he didn't cut them out. Now, I want to say this. That's far different than the way that the church is a lot of times today, right? A lot of times people become Christians today, and then we just start cutting everybody else that we had previous relationships with out of our life. Or maybe it doesn't happen in an instant, it happens over time. And you've been coming to church and you're so involved and you're doing all this. And then before you know it, you look around and the only people you're friends with are other Christians. And you have no meaningful, genuine relationships with people who are far from God. And I'm saying if that is you, you are not following in the ways of God. You're not. Because is that how God dealt with us? God doesn't just get, he's like, all oh, these sinners, they're annoying me. You know what? They're a bad influence on my life. Get rid of them. I need to focus on more positive influences. God doesn't do that. Instead, he, he doesn't push sinners aside. He pursues them. Jesus, when he came to us, was known as a friend of sinners. Hallelujah. I was uh, reading a funny article this last week. Uh, by the Babylon Bee, which is a satire comic that kind of makes fun of Christian culture. And there's a lot of truth in it. And it said, imagine if God decided to cut out all the toxic people in his life. Imagine if God decided to cut out all the people who were just bringing sin to the table. Imagine if God tried to cut out all the people who were negative influence and weren't helping him have a more positive life. 7.5 billion people would be dead in an instant. <laughs> Because that's all of us. And so as Christians, though, sometimes we can get so focused on us and ourselves, or even sometimes for good intentions, we can say, you know what? I, I need to cut these people out because they're leading me down a bad path. Or I need to fo mo fo mo focus more on holy things. That all of a sudden, you don't have any unbelievers in your life. And you can't relate to them because you've cut culture out of your life altogether. You only listen to Caleb on the radio and watch Christian movies. And that, I'm saying, is sin, church. Jesus is a friend of sinners, and to be a disciple following in Jesus' footsteps meaning we have, means we have meaningful relationships with people who are far from God. With people who are far from God. So, how are you doing with that? Do you know your neighbors? Have they been into your home for dinner? Have you been into theirs? Do you simply look at people with judgment or are you known as the person who's welcoming lots of different types of people into your home do you know your co-workers are you friends with them 
Do you hang out before and after work or at lunch? Would they call you a friend? I'm not saying would you call them a friend. There's probably lots of people you call friend, but they wouldn't. Do they call you a friend? This is what God is calling us to do. We're supposed to be in meaningful, genuine relationships with people who are far from God. And some people think that to fulfill the mission of Jesus, like to go tell the good news of Jesus to the world, you have to go out on the street corner and start tapping strangers on the shoulder and say, have you heard of Jesus Christ? What's going to happen to you after you die? But that, that, that's not typically how God is calling us to be on mission. Some people think that to be on mission, you've got to go across the world and do something spectacular in another country. But where has God placed you now? God, in his genius, has placed you in relationship with people that you love and relate to already. And your job is to share Jesus with them now. Sometimes you don't need to look for new people to share Jesus with. Just start with the people you already have in your life who don't know Jesus. Notice how Paul doesn't say, I have unceasing anguish in my heart for all people. He says, I have it for my brothers, my people. So let me ask you a question, church. Who's your people? Who are the people that you identify with, that you're in that culture, that they're in your family or your work? That's who you need to start with. That's who you need to start with. That's what it means to love those who don't know Jesus. The third thing it means is this, is that you'll want them to know Jesus, not just religion or not just morality. Paul says here, says, they are the Israelites and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs and from their race, according to, their fle- to the flesh, is the Christ. So here's what's going on. God chose the nation of Israel, this little tiny nation, and he said, you're going to be my people, and God chose to reveal himself specifically to them, and that's how the Old Testament was written. And so God chose them, he gave them glory, he delivered them out of slavery, they did, he did all these miracles that they witnessed, they walked through an ocean, it was insane. Then God came and they, he had him build a temple and he came down in his presence and he visited him in glory in the temple. He gave them the law and how they were supposed to live and, and govern themselves and how they were supposed to have worship. And he gave them promises that the Savior was coming. And even from them, Jesus was descended. So what Paul is tore up about is this. They had all of that, but they still missed relationship with Jesus. It is possible to be zealous in your religious worship, to be a good person, to say you love God, to be in a church, and still to be light years away from God because you don't know Jesus. And Paul is tore up that there are people who are worshiping every single week and who bear the name of believer yet don't love Christ. The Christian message is not change your behaviors. The Christian message is know Jesus. That's the message. I was talking with a friend this week and he was telling me that he grew up and he actually hated Christianity and he hated God because he grew up in a family that claimed to be Christians but as he looked at their life and what they loved, he noticed the only difference between them is that his parents were a little more judgmental and they didn't smoke tobacco, and they didn't cuss. They said, darn it. <laughs> and he realized there, there's nothing different between them, even though they go to church, and my friend's parents. 
therefore, God must not be real. And then he came to it later and he said, well, later on he realized that perhaps his parents had been missing the point a little bit. That they had made life about what, doing what they considered was being good and not about knowing him. Christianity is about knowing him. This is what God wants. And if you're here and you're like, I'm not a Christian, I just, I don't know what God wants. You want, you don't want to know what he wants? He wants you. He wants relationship. And yeah, there's stuff that the Bible says, do this and don't do this, but it starts with knowing him. And too often the church is preaching behavior change, change your morals, and we're not preaching him. And I'm telling you, members of Living Stones, if I ever stop preaching him, please remove me for my own sake and yours from being a pastor. We preach him, his life, his crucifixion, his resurrection. It's him. That's what we preach. And so um, we have to ask ourselves, is this what I'm concerned about with my friends or do I just want them to have a better marriage? Is this what I'm concerned about with my friends or I just want them to change how they view sexuality? Is this what I want with my friends or do I just want them to become a, would I be satisfied with them just coming to church? The answer as a Christian should be no. I want them to know Jesus because there's nothing else better in this world than knowing Jesus. And then the last thing we do, the last thing that it means to love Jesus and to love those who don't is to surrender those people that you love so dearly to the sovereignty of God, to the fact that Jesus is God. He says that right here at the end, he says, to them belong the patriarchs and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever, amen. He says that Jesus is God over all. At the end of the day, it's only God who can save. No amount of love that we can muster up in our heart has any power to save anybody. And, and Paul is saying, well, Jesus is still God over all. Whether they believe or not, that does not make Jesus God. God. Jesus is God because he's God. People's unbelief in our city does not remove Jesus from his throne. And that's encouraging. But also in recognizing that Jesus is God, we're also recognizing that only God can change people's hearts. And there's a comfort in that because God is committed to being faithful to his promises. And he will change their hearts. So what that means is, man, you can preach your butt off, but it doesn't matter unless God opens ears. You can describe the beauties and the glories of Christ, but it doesn't matter unless God opens eyes. You can tell people of the love of Jesus in a way that will make you weep, but it won't matter unless Jesus opens their heart. So we need to surrender these people that we love so much to Jesus and say, your God you do the work. I'll, I'll tell of your good news, but you got to do the work. You got to do the heavy lifting. Because all Paul could do here, as he says here, is he says, I could wish that I myself would be accursed. All he could do was wish. All he could do was wish that he could be cut off. But it can't work. But there is somebody who did more than wish. His name is Jesus. Paul wished, but Jesus actually was accursed. Jesus actually was cut off so that you and me could be brought in. Did you know that the whole Old Testament prophesies to this, to this one Savior who would be, be regarded cursed by God? It says in Deuteronomy that anybody who was killed on a tree is cursed by God. It says in Psalm 22 that this one would cry out and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He would also be regarded as a worm and not a man and people would gamble for his clothes while they were looking at him dying. 
when he was to die, where he died, Jesus, where he died, they took him outside of Jerusalem because that's where they took the trash. And as he hung there on the cross and those nails pierced his hands and his feet, darkness came over. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And on that moment, he was being cut off from God so that you could be brought in. As he was screaming in agony and in fear and in terror, he was going to hell so that you, through faith, can be with God in heaven. As he cried out to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God didn't pick up the line so that when you call out to God in faith, he will answer. He was regarded as a worm so that you could be regarded as a son. He was cursed so that you could be blessed. He was put out like trash so that you could be brought in like a treasure. He was forsaken so that you could be beloved. This is how much God loves you. And you're never going to be changed. Life is never going to have the fullness of meaning. You could have all the success in the world. You could have everything and you're still going to have emptiness until you see that love of God. And it's only found there in Christ on the cross. That is how much God loves you. Has anybody ever loved you that much? In fact, that's how much God likes you. Sometimes we think about love. It's like, yeah, God might love me, but he doesn't like me. No, God likes you so much that he went to hell so that you could be with him forever. He loves you. He likes you. He wants you. And some of you in this room, you've been looking for that your whole life, and it's only found in Christ. And so as we see that, we're changed by it. That's the grace of God. But... As we see it as believers, we also see that that blood flowing from his hands and his side and his feet, we're also reminded that it wasn't just for us. It was also for some of our neighbors and our coworkers and our friends and our family members and, our, and the people in the city and, and the people that we run into. And, and, and we have confidence that because Jesus already shed blood for them, he will also work in their heart. And because of that, we share the gospel with boldness and love, knowing that those who belong to God, those whom he died for, he will save and bring to himself. And so it gives us great courage. And so what I want you to do is to just reflect on some of these things here for a moment. On each one of your seats is a card. Or it might be in the seat back, but on each one of your seats is a little index card. And what I want you to do with that card is this is if you're a Christian, like if you're saying, you know, I believe this stuff, um, I want you to write on that card a couple names of people that you're in relationship, that you love, that don't know Jesus, but you want them to know Jesus. A couple, write down a couple names of people that you can't imagine spending eternity without. And I want you to put that for the next year on a mirror or in your car, somewhere where you're going to see it every day. And every time you see them, you pray for them by name. And you just pray that God would show them his love by name. You do that every single time. Now, imagine if we all did this. There's about 300 adults that come each week. Imagine if 300 people offered up a couple people to God. How many people, I bet, will start seeing coming to know the love of Christ? So let's do this together. That's what I want you to do. Um, write those names down. Now, if you're not a Christian, um, you're like, ah, this makes me feel weird. Here's what I want you to do. Take that card 
and maybe write down a prayer to God that you want answered. Like, God, if you're real, show me. Or, God, if Jesus is really God, help me to know it. And then put that in your mirror or put that in your car. And every time you look at it, you pray that prayer, but you pray it for yourself. And if God is real, he'll do it. If he's not, he won't. So it's a good prayer to pray. Um, and I, I just want to see what God will do as we give these people to God. Because here's the deal. No matter how much we love people, God loves them infinitely more. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you that the Bible is full of places where we clearly tick you off and we make you angry and because we wander away and we do stupid and we hurt other people and we give credit to other things except for you. We try to live life like we're the gods of the universe instead of you. Yet in the midst of that anger, you're still overcome with compassion for us, so much so that you would come and die. And there's no love like that, God. That... that that is love that only you possess. And we pray, God, that you would align our hearts more with your heart. And that we would be known as a church who's not just calling out and trying to correct people's morality. Instead, we're just, we're, we want people to know you. And that we would have confidence that if, we, if they know you and they truly know you, then you'll start to align their life with your ways. But God, we, we can't do that. So I, I pray for all the people who we're gonna pray for. We give all these names to you and we know that these names are not just names, but they're souls, they're faces, and they're people that we love dearly, but we know that you love far more. And so God, we give them to you and we pray that you would move with power in your great name.